Thank you all for being here this evening. Uh, our study tonight probably has one of the uh, strangest, if not the strangest title of any uh, message I've ever preached or taught in my life, a funeral song for a prostitute. But as we walk our way through uh, Revelation 18, the 24 verses, I think you will find that the um, title is an accurate description of the tragic words that we read in this particular chapter. Uh, it's been well said that a, uh, an idol is a good thing that we turn into a God thing. And when you take a good thing and turn it into a God thing, it becomes a bad thing. It becomes an idol. And much of what we're going to see in this chapter tonight talks about good things, things that could have been used and should have been used for God's glory. But unfortunately, the demonic gets involved, as we will see in the first three verses. And humanity takes these good gifts of God and we deify them. And in deifying them, they become idols and thereby they become bad things. As we begin to look at this chapter, and there's not much joy in it, so I'm just going to go ahead and tell you in advance, this is the kind of chapter that after you study it, uh, you go home and you're depressed. Uh, but... Good news is coming because chapter 19 is both the wedding supper of the Lamb and the second coming of the Lord Jesus. So there is good news following the bad news. And, of course, the good news accentuates just how bad the news is for those who do not know Christ. And so in Revelation chapter 18, we read after this. And, of course, the after this is a reference to chapter 17. And it's also a reference to the fact that God put it in the heart of the beast and those who followed the beast to destroy Babylon, to destroy this great city, to destroy this prostitute. After this, verse 1, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. And of course, coming from heaven, we're not surprised. He has great authority. And we're not surprised that the earth was made bright with his glory. After all, he has just left the very presence of of God Himself. And He called out with a mighty voice, and we heard this previously in chapter 14 and verse 8, Fallen, fallen Babylon the great. Now, if you're paying attention, you'll notice that's in the past tense. And yet, we're looking at a future event. But often in the Bible, things that are certain in the future are spoken in the past tense. In other words, from heaven's perspective, it is a signed, sealed, and settled reality. This is already, as far as God is concerned, is done. It's just waiting for its moment in history to be accomplished. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. She has become already a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast, for all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. The kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Revelation 18 is a, a requiem. It's a funeral dirge. It is a song of lamentation and sorrow over the demise and the destruction of Babylon. Now remember, Babylon is discussed 
in chapter 17 and chapter 18, though alluded to earlier in chapter 14. Babylon is a system. Don't think of the literal city. You will misunderstand. Babylon is a system of evil. It is a system of idolatry. It is a system that is ultimately organized by the evil one that stands in opposition to God's purposes and plans in every realm of reality. Remember, when is the first time we read about Babylon? Well, we read about the Tower of Babel back in Genesis chapter 11. And what was the purpose of the Tower of Babel? To build a tower to the heavens whereby they thought they would in some sense deify themselves. Babylon, of course, ransacked Israel in 605, 597, and 586 and destroyed the temple in 586. They deported. Remember the book of Daniel. Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are taken into captivity in Babylon. And Babylon became kind of this this image. Yes, it was a real empire at that time, but it becomes an image in Scripture that stands for that which is an evil opposition with the goal of destroying the people of God and destroying the plans and the purposes of God. In fact, George Eldon Ladd says of chapter 18 in particular, The background for this section is found in the prophetic dirges over the fall of Tyre in Ezekiel 26 and 27 and 28 and of Babylon in Isaiah 13, 14, Isaiah 21 and Jeremiah chapter 50 and 51. And of course, this is a song that is not only going to be sung in the future, it is a song that has been sung literally in every generation all around the world. And wherever Babylon makes itself known, where Babylon establishes a base of power, in the long run, only sorrow and destruction and evil result from it. Now, as we walk through this particular text, we're going to divide it out into three stanzas. And interestingly, there are three specific stanzas in the middle, in verses 9 through 19, where you have rulers, businessmen and women, and those who are involved in shipping, grieving over the fact that God has destroyed this evil empire. But we're also going to see that that, uh, those three stanzas are bracketed by two other songs, those songs being sung by angels. So, look at stanza number one, which goes all the way from verse one to verse eight. God will severely judge the great prostitute. Uh, there was a wonderful preacher named R.G. Lee who had a sermon called Payday Someday. It was a sermon about Jezebel and Ahab. Well, that same sermon could easily be applied to Babylon because payday for Babylon has arrived here in chapter 17 and now in chapter 18. As we saw at the end of our last study, she's no longer great because God put it in the heart of the Antichrist, the beast, and his followers to destroy her and to devour her. We see that again in verses 15 through 18 in chapter 17. But now there is a song that is to be sung about her. Actually, as I mentioned, three dirges are laments in verses 9 through 20. These songs again bracketed by the two angel songs. So let's look at the first angel song and note that this system is first of all judged for its demonic nature. After this, after seeing the destruction of Babylon in chapter 17, I saw another angel coming down from heaven 
It had great authority because it has the authority of God. The earth is made bright with His glory because He has just left the presence of the Lord. And He called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen. He repeats it for emphasis. Fallen, fallen is Babylon, Babylon the great. Well, why is she fallen? Well, first of all, because of her demonic nature. She has become a dwelling place for demons. Ultimately, the evil systems of this world that oppose the things of God have their energizing and their empowerment by Satan and the demonic. When you look at what is going on around the world today with something like ISIS, ultimately ISIS is being fueled by the demonic. But let's be careful. It's easy to take a shot at ISIS. What about things that take place in our own country where people are exploited and people are mistreated and people are not given a fair shake? And let's be honest, sometimes capitalism, which I'm a big fan of capitalism, if run apart from a Judeo-Christian ethic, will almost always crush people, destroy people. The rich get richer and the poor get poorer. It doesn't work very well unless you have an ethic that helps us understand, as John Wesley said, God gives Christians the ability to make money, to give money away. To make money, to give money away. To make money, to give money away. You say, where do you get that? He got it from the Bible. And therefore, unless it is wed to the Judeo-Christian ethic, it also becomes a component of Babylon. So he says here, it is a dwelling place for demons. And then he gets into kind of a poetic uh, run here. A haunt for every unclean spirit. A haunt, a dwelling place for every unclean bird. A haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. So everything that's unclean from the demonic on down the line is the result of being wedded to Babylon. And so then he says in verse 3, Furthermore, all the nations, note there are three categories of personalities noted here. There are the nations, uh, there are the kings, and there are the merchants. So we see, secondly, that this worldly system is judged for its idolatry. For all the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. He's not talking about sexual immorality here literally. He's talking about it spiritually. And again, we know many times in the Bible... Sexual immorality is used as a striking metaphor, a striking image for idolatry. We should be loving with all of our heart the Lord God. Instead, we're loving with all of our heart all sorts of other things, and once we're loving them in an absolute kind of a way, they become an idol, and we are in essence guilty of spiritual sexual immorality. So all the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth, the leaders, those in power and in positions of power, have committed immorality with her. And even the merchants, the businessman, the businesswoman, uh, all across the earth, they have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. And so these idols of life have cast a spell, if you like, over the human race. And we bow and we worship unless... We are part of that group back in chapter 17 and verse 14. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with Him are the called and the chosen and the faithful. So the worldly system is judged for its many idolatries. But then number three, the worldly system is also judged for its sinfulness. Verse 4, John hears another voice from heaven It is a call for God's people to what? Come out. 
come out and separate themselves from the world. Uh, to fail to flee will result in what? Number one, taking part in her sins. And number two, sharing in her plagues. It's interesting. Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 11 says, Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. Clearly, that's the background of what John is writing here. I can also add Jeremiah chapter 51 and verse 45. Go out. Go out of the midst of her, my people. Let everyone save his life from the fierce anger and the wrath of the Lord. Now, in essence, verse 5 explains verse 4. It is the rationale. Why does God tell us from this voice in heaven, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plague. Well, I'll tell you why. Verse 5. For her sins are heaped as high as heaven. Uh, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, the message says, her sins stink to high heaven, which is a nice way of paraphrasing exactly what John is saying here. Furthermore, she is not forgotten and she is not unnoticed by the Lord. Verse 5, God has remembered her iniquities. In other words, God has seen and God knows all that this evil organized satanic system has done throughout history around the world. And so the application is very clear. You share in her sins and you will also share in her punishment. You cozy up to this prostitute and you will also suffer with her. Her sins are piled up to heaven. As one man said, they have reached heaven's doorstep and God is fully aware of who she is and what she has done. So, it's judged for its demonic nature. It's judged for the fact that it is idolatrous. It is judged for its sinfulness. But then number four, and this is probably the root of it, she is also judged for her pride. As I've noted earlier, the judgment of Babylon is noted many, many times in the Bible, not just in Revelation chapter 17 and 18. It is referenced in Psalm 137, Jeremiah 50, Jeremiah 51. And now God uses very striking language here in verse 6. Look at it. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others. In fact, repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup that she has mixed. The idea, and literally in Greek, it is double the double. Double the double. That is the severity with which God is going to judge this evil, worldly system that has treated others so badly and opposed His purposes and plans. He will give her back double. Now, the idea of doubling really just means fully, completely. Uh, she gets everything that she deserves. God never gives anyone everything they deserve and more. He never does, at least in terms of judgment. God is, is eminently fair and equitable in His judgment. So the idea of doubling, one person even said it may be the idea, pay her back both for how she thought and how she acted. And that makes it a double kind of idea. But really, it's an idiom. It's a metaphor which simply says she is to receive a full measure of punishment for her actions. And what did she do? Verse 7, she glorified herself. She didn't glorify God. She 
glorified herself and she lived in luxury. She took the good things that God gives us in this life and she turned them into idols. Again, let's just be real clear. Is money a bad thing? Well, it depends what you do with it. If you use it well for the glory of God, it's a good thing. If you use it in a selfish way and you turn it into your God, it's a bad thing. Or are houses bad things? Well, it depends what you do with them. Or having homes at the beach a bad thing? Well, it depends what you do. It really comes back. It's like virtually anything in this world that we have. The Internet. Sometimes people say, the Internet is evil. Well, is it? A lot of good preaching available on the Internet. A lot of wonderful Bible studies available on the Internet. A lot of good books that are free available on the Internet. But again, I recognize it is also a seedbed of pornography and many other evil things. It again comes down, what do you do with these things that God has given us? Well, she glorified herself. And she took the good things of God and turned them into idols and lived in luxury. So as a result, he says there in verse 7, give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since... She says in her heart, and here's the self-deception of sin. Sin does not only uh, disobey God. Sin often deceives the sinner. In fact, I so often deal with people that uh, get into patterns and habits of sin, and it's almost like they literally go deaf and dumb. And you're recognizing and realizing that sin has a very seductive nature that often deceives the sinner. In fact, I mean, who would willingly... Go out and commit sin knowing that that sin is going to destroy them. You wouldn't do that. But unwittingly you will. Foolishly you will. Being deceived you will. And so she sits here in absolute deception. She says, I'm not a prostitute that's being destroyed. I'm a queen. I'm no widow. And mourning I shall never see. Wow. I'm a queen. I'm not a prostitute. I'm no widow. I haven't lost all of my children and those that have followed me. I haven't lost my, my husband in terms of this uh, uh, system of evil. And, and mourning, I shall never see. And so what does the Bible say? For this reason, for her pride, plagues will come upon her in a single day. You'll see in verse 17, in a single day. Hour. You'll see in verse 19, For in a single hour she has been laid to waste. Interestingly, her boast recalls the ancient boast of Babylon. In Isaiah chapter 47, verse 7 and 8, you ought to write that down. Isaiah 47, 7 and 8, hear the word of the Lord. You said, I shall be a mistress forever so that you did not lay these things to heart or remember their end. Now, the, now therefore, hear this, your lo- you lover of pleasures who sit securely, who say in your heart, I am, and there is no one beside me. I shall not sit as a widow or know even the loss of children. And the Bible says, no, because of your boast, verse 8, in a single day, the plagues of death, and mourning and famine will be your lot. Furthermore, she will be burned up with fire. And all these are certain because it is the mighty God, the one who is the Lord God, who has judged her. 
And so God steps in and judges her for her pride, judges her for her arrogance, and God says in His Word, her judgment of her pride is certain it indeed will happen. Grant Osborne, who's a wonderful New Testament scholar at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, he's about to retire now in his 70s. What a great commentary. When I worked through this, I used his commentary extensively. It's about that big. Uh, so he spent a lot of time. In fact, he told me I wrote him a note thanking him for how, how well he did it. And he basically shared with me that he worked on it for almost 15 years. And uh, you could tell it, it really is that well done. Well, here's what he said at this particular point in his commentary. One does not have to read many magazines or watch many movies to realize the extent to which sinners today guzzle the wine of passion for immorality. One must realize that divine judgment is not too far away. Those who willingly participate in such immorality will also participate in the judgment to come. Those who live for greed and luxury will also face an angry God for seeking only the treasures of earth and ignoring the treasures of heaven. Jesus warned them well. This includes materialistic Christians. What sorrows await you who are rich, for you have your only happiness now. And the worldly system will be judged for its pride. God will judge the great prostitute. But now secondly, stanza number two. The earth will greatly lament over the great prostitute. This is verse 9 through verse 20. You know, what we love in many ways will reveal what we hate. And what we hate will also in many ways reveal what we love. Well, the earth dwellers, unbelievers, that, that phrase has been used throughout Revelation, who live for the priorities and the values of this world, hated God, and they loved the prostitute. They loved the prostitute as long as she could deliver, as long as she could give them what they wanted. And so, when she could give them answers to their greed and their self-interest, they were good to go with her. But when she became incapable of giving them what they wanted, as we saw in chapter 17, they turned on her and they killed her. But then when they killed her, they realized also what they've just done in terms of uh, cutting off the spigot, so to speak, of all of the luxury and all of the material things and all of the things of this world. And now they're heartbroken. And so they don't lament or weep over the fact that they've offended God. They lament and they weep over the fact that their source of luxury and source of material gain is gone. As one man said, all that they have lived for Gone in a moment. I'm not going to pick on any individuals tonight, but think of some of the folks in our country today that are worth billions. And imagine if suddenly all of their billions were gone just like that. Do you think they would be celebrating, cheering? Do you think they'd be able to say, well, I'm at peace because God is ultimately sovereign and God... They wouldn't be thinking in those categories. In fact, we know full well that in the past when such things have happened... People have tried to jump from buildings and have indeed jumped from buildings, committed suicide, and have basically gone to drink, and their lives just disintegrate because these were the things they were living for. And amazingly, the Bible says they were gone in a moment. Now, let me break down for you verses 9 through 20, what we're going to see, and then we'll walk through them very quickly. Number one, there are three dirges 
uh, are laments over the sudden fall and destruction of Babylon. There are three of them, and they're very clearly articulated in the outline. Uh, the kings are the rulers, cry first in verses 9 and 10. Uh, the merchants are the businessmen, weep and cry in verses 11 through 17. And then those who are connected to the industry of shipping in verses 17 and 19. All of them weep and mourn over the fall of their idol of their God. Now, again, if you're a note taker, maybe in your notes that you have, right out beside it, see Ezekiel 27. See Ezekiel 27, because the sorrow expressed over the destruction of Tyre in Ezekiel 27 in many ways provides the uh, foundation and the background for what we're going to read here in verse 9 through verse 20. That Robert Mounts notes 15 of the 29 commodities listed. You said there are 29, there are 29 commodities listed. In Revelation chapter 18, verses 12 and 13, 15 of those are also found in Ezekiel 27. Furthermore, the same three groups of mourners are also referred to in Ezekiel, but there, their reaction to the fall of the city was a little bit different. There we see the mariners crying bitterly, the kings shuddering with horror, and the merchants hissing at God for how God has taken away their wealth and taken away their prosperity. So, first of all, the rulers weep over her sudden judgment. Look at verse 9 and 10. Now, the kings of the earth who committed, third time it's been mentioned in the text, sexual immorality, and lived in luxury with her, they will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning, when they see that she has been destroyed. Uh, when Wall Street collapses, when Beijing, while we're asleep, collapses, when the stock market in London goes haywire, the world will... And here's the deal. We're going to see an economic downturn and an economic travesty and disaster makes what we've gone through in recent years seem like child's play. Stock market today is, what, over about 16,000-something? Just imagine what it's going to be like when it bottoms out at zero. That's where it's headed. Now, I'd prefer it not to be in my lifetime, but I'm just telling you, according to the Word of God, that's where it's headed here and everywhere else. And so when all that happens, the metaphor, the burning of her, is what is emphasized and what is being communicated here. So when they see the smoke of her burning, verse 10, what will they do? Well, they will stand far off. And by the way, you should mark that. Because in verse 15, the merchants of these wares who gain wealth from her will stand far off. Look at verse 17. And all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors and all whose trade is on the sea, stood far off. So they're not going to get anywhere close to this burning prostitute. They just stand back in amazement. They stand back in heartbrokenness. They stand back in sorrow and weeping. So they will stand far off in fear of her torment and they will say, and the English in the ESV says, Alas, alas. Uh, the NIV says, Woe, woe. Interestingly, the Greek phrase is, Uah, Uah. O-U-A-I is the transliteration of the Greek. Uah. Uai, which I can understand when we're saying, whoa, whoa, we don't really say what we go, ah, ah. Well, that's pretty close to, uai, uai. And so they're screaming in great heartbrokenness 
You great city, you mighty city Babylon, in a single hour, your judgment has come. She really was, or really is, here today and gone tomorrow. One man that I was reading said, like the magnificent twin towers of the World Trade Center, the ungodly, Christ-like, worldly system of idols and wickedness come crashing down in no time at all. Take that image and then apply it worldwide to the economic systems of the world and that's what you're going to have on this dark day, on this Black Tuesday, Black Monday. You, it's going to be blackness throughout the world forever until God comes in His return. And so they're shocked. They're horrified. They are absolutely undone at what God has done because what they trusted in is suddenly gone and it is gone forever. The rulers played the fool, didn't they? But they're not the only ones who played the fool. Look at verses 11 through 17 and there you'll note that businessmen and businesswomen mourn over their loss as well. Now we move to the merchants of the earth and they do the same thing. They weep. And they mourn for her. Why? Since no one buys their cargo anymore. And what you have here in verses 12 and 13 is 29 different items of value and wealth. Now, I can read through them, but I'll do what I found in my study. Seven different categories are noted. Seven different categories are noted. I'll just hit them very quickly. Number one, precious metals and stones, such as gold, silver, jewels, and pearls. Secondly, fabrics for expensive clothing, what is called fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth. Thirdly, all kinds of ornaments and decorations, scented woods, ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron, marble. Number four, fragrances. You've got cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense. Number five, foodstuffs, wine, oils, Fine flour, wheat. Six, animals, cattle, sheep, horses, and chariots. But number seven is the most heinous of all, human slaves. That is, human, literally human souls. And these are also being trafficked in the last days. Uh, one commentator said it is estimated that there were as many as 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. I wonder how much slavery there will be at the end of the age. We are aware, I, I hope this evening, that slavery still goes on around the world. Sex slaves, uh, those that are enslaved for labor. My goodness, North Korea is all but a totalitarian slave state where no one has any freedom, no one has any rights. And so the Bible says that all of that is part of this evil demonic system, but nothing, I think, is a greater evidence of man's depravity than that he would treat other human beings like livestock for service and for their entertainment. Well, what does verse 14 say is the result? The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again." That phrase, never to be found again, is very interesting. It's actually a double negative in the Greek text. 
No more, never to be found. That's, you say, that's bad English. It may be bad English, but it's good Greek and it's good theology. No more, never to be found. And so the merchants like the kings in verse 15 who gain wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment. And again, it is emphasized they are weeping and they are mourning aloud. And what do they say? Ooey, ooey, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls, in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. So the businessmen and the women mourn their loss. And then thirdly, shipping and ship those involved in shipping will grieve over her destruction. Verse 17, the second part. All shipmasters, seafaring men, Sailors and all who trade is on the sea stood far off like the previous two groups. They likewise cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning, what city was like the great city? Now, you might remember back in chapter 13 and verse 4, a similar statement was made about the beast, the Antichrist. Who is like the beast? And they worshipped him. Who is like Babylon? And they had worshipped it. But now, what city was like the great city? No city was like the great city, but the great city is no more. And so verse 19 gives you their response. They threw dust on their heads as a sign of mourning. They again wept and mourned, and they cried out third time, Ooey, ooey, alas, alas, woe, woe for the great city. For all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth in a single hour. She has been laid to waste. And the whole world is lamenting over the fact that God has brought their idols crumbling down in this great day of judgment. David Platt, who is our president of our International Mission Board, said this, If you love this world, it will pass away and it will take you with it. You will not only lose true pleasure, you will lose your life. You will too perish with this world. And those who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, they lament over the destruction and the death of the great prostitute. But number three, stanza three. Angels rightly sing of the utter destruction that is the destiny of the great prostitute. Look at what it says there in verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone, and he threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found. Now note the repetition of this next phrase, no more. The sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you, no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you, no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you, no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you, no more. And the voice of a bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. Why? Three reasons are given. 
For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery, and in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints, and of all who had been slain on the earth. Adrian Rogers, a preaching hero of mine, said, We become like what we worship, and true worship will make us more like God. I like that. We become like what we worship. True worship will make us more like God. Or to say it another way, we will grow to love what He loves, and yes, we will also grow to hate what He hates. And God hates the evil and murderous city of man known as Babylon, and the fact of the matter is, so should we. Thus, we have a completely different perspective on her judgment and destruction as verse 20 shows. Yes, the, the kings of the earth, The merchants and the seafarers are weeping over her destruction, not so for those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 20, We rejoice with all of heaven, that is the saints, the apostles, and the prophets, because God has given judgment for us against her. There was a prayer that we studied all the way back in chapter 6 and verse 10 where the martyrs under the altar were crying out to God, O Sovereign Lord, holy and true, How long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And the answer there, they were each given a white robe, but they were told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves have been. Well, that day has come to an end. And God now answers their prayer as they rejoice over God dealing rightly and justly with this evil system called Babylon. Now, what you see in your outline, and I'm going to walk through it just like that, are seven different aspects of picking up on that phrase, no more, no more, no more, no more, that that help us understand the totality of God's judgment upon this evil entity. And again, each one of those phrases, no more, is a double negative in the Greek language. No, not more, or not no more, or no, no more. But it's, it's again, given in that way to emphasize as strongly as possible the certainty of God's judgment. So first of all, there will be no record of her. Verse 21, a mighty angel appears for the third time in the book of Revelation and he throws a great millstone into the sea, plunges to the bottom, never to be seen again, which is a metaphorical way of saying this is what is happening to Babylon in God's judgment and destiny. He is taking the great city and throwing it into the sea with a millstone tied around it. It will sink to the bottom and you will never, ever see it again. It will be found no more. She's gone forever. In fact, the record will be wiped clean of her existence. Secondly, there will be no rejoicing over her. Music ceases. The harpists, musicians, flute players, and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. Song and dance stop. Why? There's nothing to celebrate. There's only an eerie silence that envelops the entire fallen world. No rejoicing over her. Thirdly, There will be no rebuilding of her. Verse 22, craftsmen no longer make their crafts. The sound of the mill and everyday labor stops. No one works 
Industry comes to an end. The economy collapses. An economic depression, unlike anything the world has ever seen, floods the earth. There is no rebuilding of her. Number four, there's no reflection of her. Look at verse 23. No one will have to turn out the lights of Babylon because the light of the lamp will shine in you no more. Darkness will drape the destroyed city as she is abandoned and forsaken. No one visits her. No one parties here. It's dark. It's dark. Number five, there will be no recovery for her, verse 23. Any hope of new life or a rebirth is not in the future. Why? Because no one falls in love anymore. No one gets married anymore. Weddings are a thing of the past. The merry sound of bridal festivities have forever been silenced. The voice of the bridegroom and the bride will be heard in you no more. Number six, there will be no respect for her is also found in verse 23. Prostitute's judgment is just. Why? Because her merchants were filled with arrogance and pride as the, quote, great ones of the earth. Well, they're not great anymore. And all the nations that were deceived and led astray by her sorcery, her magic spells, are no more. She bewitched the nations and led them into destructive foolishness. And now that she is exposed, no one has any regard or respect for her. Her merchants were great, but they're not great anymore. Her sorceries worked for a time, but not anymore. And then finally, we bring our study to a close. There will be no redemption for her Verse 24, in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. You see, this prostitute is very familiar with blood. She's very familiar with the blood of God's saints. She's not familiar with the blood of Christ. but She is familiar with the blood of those who have followed her. In her is the blood of prophets and in her is the blood of saints. I think I shared this with you all earlier. The 20th century was the bloodiest century for Christians on record. In fact, there is good evidence that more Christians were martyred in the 20th century than the previous 19 combined. You think of what happened to Christians in China when communism took over. You think of what happened to Christians in the Soviet Union when communism took over. You think of what happened to the Eastern Bloc nations when communism took over. Now you think of what is happening as radical Islam continues to spread its wings and move throughout the world. You take all the other religions combined. Take Judaism. Take Islam. Take Hinduism. Take Buddhism. Put them all together and they do not equal the number of Christian martyrs throughout the centuries. You say, why? Because Satan hates Christianity. Christianity is true. Islam is false. Hinduism is false. And it is absolutely energized by the demonic. Buddhism is false. Judaism is incomplete. They are false religions. They are exactly what Satan wants to be running rampant around the world. But Christianity is true. And therefore, he has raged against it from the Garden of Eden. And he will rage against it until the day that Jesus comes again and she is filled with the blood of the prophets and the blood of the saints. But the good news is God has seen it all. Not one life has been lost. 
Not one cry has been uttered that God did not hear it and that God did not see it. And therefore, what we have just read this evening in chapter 18 is absolutely just, that God would indeed judge this evil, organized world system for its idolatries in rejecting Him and for its mistreatment of God's people. Those men that were beheaded by ISIS alongside the ocean a few months ago, there's coming a day of vindication. There's going to be a a reckoning. We won't be the ones involved, but our God will. And what did the Bible say in Genesis? Will not the God of all the earth do right? The answer is, He sure will. And we'll begin to see that come to fruition next week and the following week when we look first at this wonderful thing called the marriage supper of the Lamb, and then probably the most glorious description in all the Bible of the second coming of Jesus in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 through verse 21. Good news is just around the corner. Praise God. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the fact that uh, it's true and uh, it's uh, real. And uh, Lord, it's relevant. And Lord, even when it's not easy to study through it, I, I would much prefer to study other passages than Revelation 18 because it is a chapter of judgment. It is a chapter of destruction, and yet it is just judgment, and it is righteous destruction of a system that has done nothing but bring heartache and destruction and evil and wickedness to this earth, Lord, for millennium after millennium after millennium. And I am grateful that there is coming a day when it will come to an end, and righteousness and justice will flow like a river across the land and we will be the wonderful uh, participants and the wonderful recipients of your marvelous grace and goodness. Lord, it is just for you to judge this great prostitute called Babylon. And Lord, we rejoice in the fact that what you do is always right and therefore what you do we can always trust. But Lord, tonight we look forward to that event and that day when in the heavens we will see a rider on a white horse coming with power and great glory. And on his thigh there is a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So like the Apostle John at the end of this book, we close our time tonight by saying, Even so, even so, come Lord Jesus. And we make our prayer in your strong and saving name. Amen and amen. We will see chapter 19, 1 through 10 next Wednesday night. Thanks, guys.